The world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce, and this is Chris Parsons. Hey, welcome to Delivering E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. I'm so, so honored and what a pleasure to have. And I've been fighting for this guy for a year now to get him to agree to be on my my podcast, um, Tambir Grover. Tambir, I, I was actually talking to some friends about you the other day, and they were like, hey, who do who do I go to when I need help or information about e-commerce? Because, you know, I'm kind of a know-it-all. And um, when, when it happens, I, I name three people. I name Michael LeBlanc, yourself, and Simon as three guys in the industry that if I don't know it, I have these great this great network of people that I can go to to get some some answers. And I've always appreciated it. You've never turned me down. You've given me so much time in my career. I really appreciate you. And uh, honestly, I just had to say that before we kick this thing off. No, thanks, Chris. I mean, I you know, I think we should all be humbled, right, in, in the space as we talk about. It. And you know, I've talked about this a, a number of times. Like we were, we were early in this space, and we were at a time when the space really was. There was few and far there was few of us in it, and uh, there was very little happening in terms of activity, you know. And I always reflect on you know the guys who helped me through the space, including yourself. But you know, I was fortunate to have Simon as a boss in, in my career, and yep. who helped really get me into ecom and, and create that excitement and passion for it. And I always have this fun story that Mike talk Michael talks about too is he worked at HBC before I did, and when I joined HBC, I ended up finding a folder called Michael LeBlanc's folder. And I literally am like looking at documents that this that Michael had created, and I'm like, wow, like you know, e-commerce documents back in 2007 or eight, and I'm like looking at it, going, it's 2010 now, and these documents are still very relevant. Like, very relevant for sure. So, the world is small, and you know, I hope you know as people listen to this podcast and this uh, this activity is really understanding that you know it's our responsibility as leaders to pay it forward for the next group of leaders that are behind us. Yeah, hundred percent. And, you know, they can always count on you for giving that, that time for people. And I try to do the same and how that's why I decided to have a, a podcast to, to try to do that in a, in a grander scale. Yeah. Um, so Tambir, let's, let's jump in, jump right into your, um, your journey. I always ask my guests, I think it's so fascinating, exciting to see the, the curves and twists of how people got to where they are. And, you know, a lot of us didn't even go into e-commerce with the dream, uh, well, going to retail with the dream of e-commerce. It just just kind of happened on us by right timing yeah. or, or some vision. But uh, let's let's get into your journey. For sure. So, you know, I think I think the journey is always rooted in curiosity, right? I think part of it is, is you're always trying to think about why do things happen in certain ways? How does this work? And I still remember I was working at Coca-Cola in 2005, and this was like a job right out of school. And, uh, you know, what I was really trying to figure out is what's my purpose and where can I make an impact? Those are the two things that I was really wanting to to really understand for myself in my career journey. And one of the things I realized was that I needed something that had high pace and high activity in, in terms of making that impact. And guess what? Guess what industry seems to do it day in and day out? It's retail. And, you know, I always say you're as good as the as yesterday and uh, in retail. And at the same time, it feels like you're just fighting a fire every single day. So each day is a unique adventure. So you have to be good with that. So my career started at Coke, you know, and from post-school. And then from there, I ended up at Sears Canada. And what a blessing that was, as much as that place was uh, was an interesting shop to work in. Why I think it was a blessing was they were giving young people 
an opportunity to lean into areas that they may not have had a ton of experience in. And one of those was e-commerce. So I had grown up with Sears more on the catalog side of the business, helping with some catalog and analytics and some catalog marketing, uh, understanding some sort of, you know, what the strategy of the, our business would be from an omni-channel point of view before it was called omni-channel between catalog and internet. Mm -hmm. um, and that really helped groom me. Like, I, you know, I, I did I did a good, good stint at Sears just to kind of learn the basics of e-com from a player that was already in the space and was well-versed in it because of the catalog business. And then I got the opportunity to go to Hudson's Bay, which I think was a real learning opportunity for me because now we were standing up an e-commerce business from scratch versus taking an e-commerce or taking a catalog business and modernizing it for e-com where you already had your DCs, you already had all these uh you know, you had your call center built out already. Now we're trying to build all of this from, from bottom up. And the Bay experience was great because I gained all of this experience while, you know, working for somebody who I admired, who was really, you know, who, but my role was specifically in merchandising and operations. And, you know, where I was starting to feel a little bit of like, I want more was I want to run both marketing. I want to run merchandising or an ops. I want to get involved in technology because my curiosity was starting to play out. And my mentors were also helping teach me a lot, but I knew the only way I would get the full learning was just by swimming in the deep end with all of this stuff. And Lowe's came knocking, which was really great. And Lowe's was looking for somebody to help launch their e-com business here in Canada in 2012. And I jumped at it. For me, that was a huge opportunity to kind of take the reins and, and, and sort of lead a business from scratch out, build a culture, build a team, and really try to, you know, push the envelope being scrappy because, you know, the likes of this is we were competing against Home Depot at the time. You guys as home hardware in the space as well. And, you know, everybody was trying to, in 2012, kind of make a name for themselves and, and try to make a name for their retailer to get there. And, and that was a great opportunity to sort of do that. And I actually lasted at Lowe's for eight years, which was a fantastic run. Um, and, you know, the reason I ended up leaving was I ended up getting an opportunity to work at the Cooperators, which is an insurance company. And people would always ask, why did you make the move from retail to FI or insurance? And part of me was just, again, going back to the idea of I'm curious, I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to get out of my comfort zone, is what could this offer me from a learning perspective? Could I get something out of this that I don't have in retail? And it, it did offer a ton. It offered me a lot more on the product management side, the structure, a lot more in terms of alignment and needing to get got lots of alignment between different groups and people and leaders to ensure you could see your vision come through. And unfortunately, or fortunately, whichever way you want to look at it, the pet value knocked on the door and we're looking for somebody to help lead their marketing and digital teams. And the opportunity was one where, you know, you couldn't say no, because I've always been looking for a, a greater role in marketing and, and taking that on. And also, again, getting a chance to rebuild a team, build a team from scratch, while also taking the existing team members and helping them along the journey to help their careers explode or grow and at the same time, being part of a part of a, a journey back in retail where I missed the pace, quite frankly. Right. The thing I love about retail, and you know, everybody should know it is, it's fast, it's changing, and you know, if somebody tells you they know everything, got bloody hell, they're lying because yeah. it's like for you and I, it's changed dramatically from you know two years ago even. Yeah, yeah, I love I love the uh, journey that you talk about, and what I, you know, when I started taking some interviews and calls for home hardware, I was kind of ashamed of my, my resume and I'm not ashamed of the work that I did, but my resume, because every three to five years, I kind of felt that I was switching jobs. Right. Um, and, you know, when you go to high school and college, they tell you, you know, 
get a job, stick with them, have loyalty, et cetera, et cetera. And then you get into this world of e-commerce and retail. And um, But then I twist it as a positive because it was all of those different jobs that taught me something different that made me stronger and stronger for every retailer that I went to work for. And if I didn't go and have that same curiosity that you talk about, um, I would be stagnant and irrelevant in e-commerce versus yeah. being going through a similar journey with as you did and taking that risk and betting on yourself to go to the next retailer and just enhance what they're doing. Um, I think it's a, it takes a lot of confidence and courage to do that um, because it does kind of buck that norm of stick with a company um, and that kind of when a recruiter's looking at your resume, you really have to justify you yeah. know, why you left those companies and, and not feel like you're a flight risk to them. Yeah. And I think, and I think one of the things that I've thought about it, you know, as I try to tell more, you know, young people about career journey and career mapping is you really have to think about where are you going to also learn? Like, where yeah. are you going to also be given the opportunity to kind of fail fast, given the opportunity to kind of spread your wings more. And, and with that also, you know, you realize like your, your journey is also based on acquiring additive skill sets. So when I look at my experience at Coke, which I think is hilarious because you think it has nothing to do with what we do today. But one of the first projects I worked on at Coke was working on a CRM system for their outside sales team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as I reflect on it, and now that I also have call center and call center management, I've got loyalty in my portfolio. Those experiences have helped guide me in thinking about what that experience needs to look like. So what happens when, you know, in, in the Coca-Cola world, when a sales associate came to your store, wanted to sell you some additional drinks, you know, as part of their service, how did we want to make that connection come to life? Well, we wanted to connect it both through the call center and our sales force. We wanted them to have one view of the customer. And it's funny because I'm saying this is happening in 2005. And yet that's still the challenge yeah. that we're all facing in retail of how do we get that single view across all our channels of our customer? And how does loyalty help stitch that together? So, you know, why I reflect on that only is your, your point is absolutely valid because each experience gives you a building block and it's your job to figure out how to put the building blocks together. And you may not know how those building blocks will work, but over time, you'll see actually that they do come together and they actually kind of start playing a bit of Tetris because you start figuring out, you know, what skill sets did you gain in one that you can apply to another. Yeah, and I think not only does it, empower you to make another retailer stronger by you having that experience it also plays a big role in your development of other people to take over for you if you decide to leave or for whatever reason yeah. because you now have all of this experience that you can coach and mentor a lot easier um, new associates and get them up to speed faster because you've lived through a number of different opportunities and again if you if you didn't do that then you would know one way of coaching by walking around or you would know one way yeah. of how to have a perspective on how to deal with conflict, but by having multiple different retailers, you get, you get to choose the nuggets you want to take from each of them. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, part of it, it goes back to like two concepts of leadership, right? Which is like situational leadership, which is each situation requires a different leadership trait or attribute to be applied. And at the same time, it's also about servant leadership, which is at the end of the day, our job as e-commerce or marketing is to serve our customer. And it's the idea of putting our customer first and making us customer centric or customer obsessed and how we make those decisions. It's not new. It's just the idea of how do we keep enforcing that? How do we keep reminding ourselves and being mindful of that? Because it's easy to slip 
into the world of now I work for pet value and everything has that pet value tunnel. And it's, it's, you know, I always use my mom and it's funny because I think she plays an important role that she doesn't realize, but it's, you know, how would my mom react is what my team knows about. It's how would my mom sort of interpret what we're trying to tell her or do is what the team will hear. And it's not meant to sort of, it's meant to really just humanize the customer back into the picture to say, what's the customer going to say to us? Are they going to understand that message or are we, are they, are we losing them at this point in time? Yeah, I love that. You're putting a persona around that customer journey. It might be your mom in this case, and in some other cases, it might be a pro or a groomer or whatever. Sure. But yeah. regardless, you're putting a persona around it to help people visualize who you're trying to solve for, which is great. Let's talk a little bit about Sears because a lot of times when I've gone to different retailers, they're like, hey, you know, we should be able to succeed because we had XYZ in place. Now, Sears had a catalog model. They had distribution across Canada, and they still weren't able to really make e-commerce work in a successful way. And a lot of people say it should have because it had this catalog model. And I'm like, yeah, but a lot of times it's legacy systems. It's legacy thinking around those things. And the evolution sometimes is easier to go to a, a more progressive or digital first company versus it is to go and reinvent the wheel with something that was done. What was your perspective? Well, I, I think Sears started off, you know, with great capabilities. I think the challenge to your point, legacy wise, we actually separated the two channels. We bought separately for the catalog internet channel than we did for the store channel. And what that meant is also there was different inventory being carried across the product lines in store and online. So when I say that, you know, you think about it and now you think about the convergence of what we've seen in retail where, you know, we're trying to do channel blur and we're trying to think about, or even like channel choreography. Sears was not about any of those things because what you saw online may not be in store and vice versa. And the one category that they kind of really tried to, you know, they called one Sears was the appliance category where they wanted that to represent both the in-store and online business. So I think that was one big hurdle that they just, we couldn't cross because it was so institutionalized that it just required a fundamental break from culturally and systematic wise in order to see those two channels kind of come back together and get additive in that, in that component. I think the other thing that's, that's a challenge is you realize with any retailer, your e-com model can be as solid as an e-com model, but it ultimately it decides on what the customer is wanting to vote for and vote with. Mm-hmm. And in terms of our merchandise, in terms of what we were selling, maybe we weren't anymore meeting the customer's needs. So no matter how great the channel was, the customer wasn't interested in what we were selling. They weren't interested in in, in the products that were were being you know we were acquiring to to sell. And as a result, they weren't winning. We weren't getting our, our fair share of, of dollars or the, the fair share of vote that we wanted in order to make that happen. So I think that also was a big challenge for the business because I actually think back to my Sears experience and say we had some of the best and brightest minds working at Sears. Like the, the number of people that I still keep in touch with that still have the Sears legacy are, is so fascinating for me because you realize when you're in the trenches and you're you're feeling like you're just trying to survive and make this business come to life, your relationships are just that much stronger as a right. result. Right. It's the idea Definitely. of going to war and, you know, you're, you're there with your brothers and sisters in war and you're, you know, they're just, you're tight. That's how it is in sports as well. And I think for me, when I look back at my Sears experience, you know, maybe it was the wrong formula was being used because you saw the slow decline, you saw the slow investments into the business. But what I'll always remember from Sears is just the opportunity, the opportunity to fail fast, the opportunity to try stuff the, the opportunity just to be able to to give your opinion and speak openly 
with senior executives about what you thought would work, what you thought wouldn't work. And in some cases you were rewarded for it. And in some cases you were just sent back and said, go figure it out again. Like go back to the drawing board and come back to us. Yeah. And you can see that Sears definitely had the talent. There was no question about that. Hell, half of the folks that were on that team are now senior levels at another retailer. Yeah. So they, yeah. these, these folks, they, they had it, they understood it. it. It's just too bad. The, the outcome at the end for, for the Sears group, let's talk a little bit about, um, well, I won't talk too much about the competition, but uh, <clears throat> you went over to Lowe's. You had this great opportunity and a very complex one because you also had another brand that you had to fulfill at the same time. Can you talk a little bit about that without giving me any secret sauce to you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no secret sauces in, in what we tried to do for Lowe's. It, you know, back in 2012, we were behind the you know behind the curve on econ. We had a site that was just basically a a uh, non transactional product site. And even, even at that point, it didn't even have the full product catalog. So there's no rocket science behind, I think, what we did, which is we tried to stand up a site that was transactional. We tried to fill the catalog with the products we carried in our store, tried to make sure we, we hit a certain target of published product online. And then I think the next thing we did is we started focusing on how to drive some traffic and excitement around the brand and let that sort of move through the, through the business. And you know, this is where I think Omnichannel really played out because we saw great success, not just online, but also in store. So over the years, the, over the early years of Lowe's, um, you know, you, you saw great growth in the in the in the stores. You saw great growth online. And, it, you know, it was just a very, very good time to see retail in this sort of light, given I'd come from Sears, where things were just tougher always to see positive comps day in right. and day out. And I think about what we really did at Lowe's was a couple of things. Is one, we established a team culture of discovery and curiosity. We wanted people who may not have had the skills of econ, but we were willing to let them in just because that's how it happened for me at Sears. So I was always willing to let people in, but they had to show certain traits, right? They had to show the level of curiosity that I talk about. They had to show some really solid business acumen and they had to be comfortable in the ambiguous world of, I don't know. And when you come ask me a question, I don't have an answer. Truthfully, I want you to kind of go figure it out and come back and say, here's what we're thinking and why we're thinking it. And then let's try it and right. let's test it. Like, again, this is the beauty of the digital businesses. You can test and learn some stuff while you're at it. So with Lowe's, it, it sort of followed that, that dynamic. Um, and part of what we also tried to do was really think about, I, I would call like the lower funnel intent marketing. Because we were Lowe's, we also had a big benefit. We had the big brother down south you know, very, very, you know, very good to have that because they they acted as a, a coach or a guide in many of the things they were doing. And one of the things that we had the advantage that they didn't have is we could move with much faster speed. We were so much more nimbler because we were smaller that if they had a great idea that it would just take them longer to, to institute, we could take that same great idea and we could probably do it in under three months. Right. right. A great example was like the pay, was PayPal. And I always remember this, my fun story, and, you know, it's not a secret by any means, but we wanted to put PayPal on our website and uh, Lowe's US was like, we want to do PayPal on our website. And truthfully, we were able to get PayPal within like a weeks of, of wanting it because we wanted that additional e-com based traffic and, and, and customer base that was already there. And for Lowe's US, it just took a much longer time for them to kind of reach the, the final conclusion of how do we get this through all the priorities we have because there's a laundry list of priorities. Yeah, that's great. And I remember because I wasn't at Home Hardware at the time, but I was watching the landscape. And one of the things that I really appreciated about Home Hardware was this uh, sense when you walk into a store, you can get service, you have expertise and product knowledge. And then, like I said, I was on the outside looking in, I, I watched Lowe's and 
all of a sudden they started talking about these these things in aisle where you can get yeah. service wherever you needed it. And there was a big play on service for for a long period of time. And it was it was interesting to watch that dynamic play into the Canadian customer and saying, okay, maybe I can go to a big box store and get that service the same quality as, yeah. as what a, a local provider would do. And um, <clears throat> and then I was watching the work obviously that you were doing on on the website. And you know, some of the things I was was interested about was like you know, especially at that time, is how often is Tambir and his team getting the push-pull on store communication, right? Like you want to drive and grow online sales, but at the same time, it's the website is used as a tool to influence customers into Correct. store and grow. And it's and, and it was it was interesting to see uh, some of the stuff you were doing online and and how much of that might be driven from store versus you driving the online sales. Yeah, and truthfully, it was it was a partnership, right? It's a partnership between multiple teams and multiple groups. Like, you know, an area that you know we all will talk about is how difficult it is to sell like windows and doors online, and probably the same thing for you guys today. It's just it's not a category that's easy. Or paint, as an example, not a easy category to sell, but you know we there's obviously the desire to get into it. But that's where the partnership came in. So it wasn't about how do I make a transaction happen. Is how do I make the discovery happen? How do we give you the tools so that when you go into the store, you're smarter about what you're doing or you feel more comfortable around what your product selection will be or you know the differences between AB, you know, eggshell versus latex or whatever. Right. Like that was kind of the concept that we tried to think about. And then what we thought about is after you had bought the paint, a lot of those other products that are in that category are transactional type products. They're about filling the basket or completing the sale or completing the project. How do we do that? So you think about then DIY content that you want to create or projects you can kind of create as here are things that you can do. So, you know, we tried to look at it with a 360 approach to it, which is like not just about driving the web, but to exactly to your point about how does the front porch come to life? How does discovery come to life? And should you choose to go deeper into the website ultimately to check out and, and, and exit based on that checkout, then we wanted to be there for you. But we also didn't want you to feel like it was just this, like you had to buy something because that was right. sort of what we were trying to do. We knew from the data we had, that a lot of our sales were being were, were influencing what was happening in the store. People were coming in, and you know, my favorite moment was like I was with a customer, and we were chatting about toilets of all things. And um, you know, he was like, "I love this website because I get the I get the reviews." Yeah, and, you know, it dawned on me, and it was like, "Well, it's crazy that you have to go to our website in our store to see the reviews for these products that are hanging up top. Why wouldn't we want to put the reviews on shelf? On shelf, yeah." Right. So, you know, it's, it's that kind of like aha moments that you get when you're in the store as a customer and you're kind of like, OK, how are you making that purchase decision? And, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it sort of goes to why did Amazon create the four star four star review store? Because that's what they wanted. It was to create an in-store experience where these were products that are curated based on what customers are voting on. Yeah. And that seamless experience is what you're talking about. Right. Is taking the we do a great job of trying to connect everything that we're doing at bricks and mortar onto the online and making sure that is, is well represented, whether that's services, whether it's what, what's going on in a local community, but then taking the insights and information that we get from e-commerce and translating that to store is yeah. where I think we've, we still struggle in retail on doing because how many times you walk into a shelf, there's not too many retailers that have the ratings and reviews that they've been gathering online at right. shelf for a customer or yeah. they have an in, enabled a mobile experience where you're interacting with that product that that can leverage all of the site content that's there yeah no i mean that's the challenge right is like that's what we want to do but remember 
when we, as we've seen our e-commerce businesses all grow, but they've all started from small little tiger teams and, and sort of tactile groups as we're starting to expand. And I think as we're expanding our, our minds and expanding our opportunities, we're seeing leaders who are coming in who have got both traditional and digital experiences in their background to help enable that to happen. And, you know, I, I don't think it's far away. I think now it's just about a little bit of horsepower and a little bit of just pulling it. And we're trying to do that at Pet Value today, where we're just trying to see how we can test putting some reviews into our into our shelves or onto our products, as even our experts, our ACEs, as we call them in our stores, our animal care experts, how they actually can showcase what they think is an expert product based on a review that's been achieved online. Smart. So great segue. Let's Let's talk about pet value and the shift over for you and your journey to pet value. I mean, it's funny when you look at our, our career path, <laughs> company, you were at a, at a home hardware or home retailer, and then we swap now. So uh, tell me about pet value. Cause I had the pleasure of uh, a year with, uh, with Ren's pets and yep. I thought it was such a great experience for me and the guys over there with Scott, they're doing such amazing work. Um, but now you're with Pet Value, and I see the stuff that you're doing already, like press releases coming out. It's fantastic. So let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know when I look at Pet Value, you know, I'm proud to be part of this team. It's it's such a, it's such a, you know, as you know it too. It's such a great industry. Like what a happy industry, like is what I call it. And you know, it, it's filled from a marketing point of view of such different emotions, right? Of happiness, sadness, excitement, love. You know, it, it just it, it's it's a marketer's dream, in my opinion, because you get to play with such different emotions in everything you do. I also really think what I love about it is our community impact. Like I didn't realize before I joined here about how much of a player we are in the local communities and how much we impact our local communities. And that's something that I'm so proud of, you know, that to learn about and then be a part of, because, you know, it's one of the things when you're part of big box companies or big organizations, you tend to work with big charitable organizations and here it's, it's it's just you know you're making that impact because you're helping a local rescue out, you're you're helping a shelter out, and and they're really needing that help. So I think that's something that I've truly enjoyed. I think the last thing I've been able to really enjoy is just making that impact. Like this business was a great business, so I haven't like it's not like I've come in and been oh my god this business is even better. It, it's it was a great business, and I got the opportunity to kind of help just modernize it and evolve it a little bit further along. And with that, really just came a shift from being a very traditional business to a digital first thought process to then delivering an experience based on that. And, you know, that's been a lot of fun too, because it's, it's allowed me to also challenge myself to think about things that I'm not really well as well versed in. Right. So for example, you know, am I the expert in branding or, or TV advertising? No, but I've surrounded myself by the right people, you know, in terms of, you know, my VP of marketing, I've got the right agencies as a part or right partners that are around me to help kind of guide the decision-making and really pressure test it which has led to some great work. Like I think we've, we've really delivered on some short-term objectives and done a great job delivering on it. And for me, it's it's been fantastic to watch and be a part of because it's been under a year. Like, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like, I've you know, can you imagine starting a job in COVID, trying to learn about your teams, trying to hire, you know, trying to hire your team as well as you're going through the process all while you're having a, you know, a pandemic and trying to grow the business accordingly. Like it's like, it's it was filled with lots of hurdles but those hurdles were so fun to overcome because we were able to do it. Yeah, and your your team is just going to be so much stronger. I talked um, internally. I was with the company maybe six months before the pandemic uh, hit here. And, you know, full transparency, I thought our team was, was green. Coming mm-hmm. out two years later, 
I have the strongest e-commerce team in the industry, I believe, because yeah. now they've lived through more hurdles and opportunities than you would typically get in a five-year career. And yeah. they, got it, they got it done in 18 months and have been so successful with it. So I, I hear you on that one-year experience and you, you can't believe the growth. And I'm sure every leader is saying this about their team, but that growth, that maturity, the mental stress that you had to go through during all of this just amplified and made oh, yeah. so many people like, stronger. Chris, just think about it. Like we went from like lockdown, no lockdown, lockdown, no lockdown. Like it was just this yeah. yo-yo effect of like, how do we react to it? And we got, you know, the first time it happened, I think we were all kind of shaken and trying to figure it all out. But by the second and third time, it was like, all right, we got the playbook. We know how the playbook works. We got to execute. And I think the other thing that the pandemic did for a lot of our teams is it gave us focus. Like we realized we had to start sort of cutting out all the extra stuff and just be like, what do we need to deliver right now to make this experience come to life? And, you know, I look at Pet Value because before I got here, we didn't have an e-commerce business. In fact, they had launched e-commerce just before I got here from a D2C perspective in mm-hmm. August of 2020, which really just launched Ontario in the D2C market. And in response to COVID, they launched a program called Shop Ahead in May of 2020, which was really about allowing customers to order online or reserve online kind of concept, but really again, pay in store. So it's still, it's still, you know, not a, not a bad process by any means, but not a seamless experience from a customer perspective. And, you know, what we call our customers are devoted pet lovers. Our DPLs really were the key of how do we build a seamless experience and get this going. And I'm proud to say like, we've actually, launched our click and collect nationwide now in in um, in Canada. So it's it's fully yes. available across our, all our stores, which has been great. But it's something that you know it took it takes time to get alignment is what I've realized. It takes time to build trust. And we've we've had to really work to establish both of those things. That's great. And I, I also noticed that with pet value and one of the things I actually use, I have a, a bulldog, is the in-store experience and the the fact that you guys are allow customers to bathe their pet in the stores, which is such a great service. It was so smart to be, because I never walk in and walk out with nothing. I go in and I don't have to use my shower, my bathtub to to bathe my bulldog, but I go in and then I'm coming out with product because my dog, I want to give her her treats. I want to, you know, try out the latest bullwing or whatever it is, or newest toy. Um, So what a great um, addition to to those stores. And I know that might have been started before your time there, but um, ultimately that's that's the way companies need to think about being customer centric. Yeah. It's, it's not about just pushing product. You add services like that, or I think you guys also offer the uh, the grooming in-store yeah. as well. Yeah. So maybe talk about some of those unique aspects to to the business. Yeah, so I mean, I think I think part of it is again, it goes to your point of trying to drive traffic, right? And, and traffic is driven in multiple ways, not just product sales, but also in services. Um, and there are important ways to actually connect with the DPL around th- different things that they need for their pet. So you're trying to again, trying to be there for the pet in the moment that they you need to be there for them for. And you know, for us, you know, it's it's your exact point is is so true because the dog wash is a simple sort of concept to carve out the space and utilize it. But what you're really trying to understand is what happens post the dog wash. How much stickiness do you get out of that? Same mm-hmm. thing with the grooming services. As, as more people use grooming, you know, you're trying to understand, do people build their baskets as a result of the grooming service or are they just using the grooming service and exiting? Right. So that's all part of the work that we, we continue to do and continue to evaluate as part of our, our offering and, and trying to really understand 
where do we want to meet the customer and where does the customer expect to meet us? What is the customer hoping for within our, within our stores? And, you know, part of our challenge just as a store is we're not a big box store, right? It's part of like same thing. I think you guys experience at, at home hardware is you're a smaller footprint and you have to sort of tailor your offering to the footprint. Yeah. And to each market, because maybe one area exactly. has smaller breed dogs and one area has larger breed dogs. And you have to really consider all of those things with that small footprint. Exactly. And, and part of that is also, you know, in the model, again, much like, like home hardware, we're also two thirds franchised, one third corporate. So a little bit different there, but we're franchised still, you know, right. predominantly. And it's also understanding what the franchise partners bring to the business because they bring their own expertise. They bring their own local community engagement. Um, and, and what they really bring is they bring honesty. Like at the end of the day, having worked in big box, you realize like you can just download a corporate to, you know, to stores and say, you guys got to do this, go do it. And most people will just absorb it. And what I, what I'm really appreciating of the franchise partners is you can do that, but you're going to hear a voice back that says, we don't like it, or you guys should think of this differently and you need to accommodate for that. And I think, you know, what makes us better leaders is we got to build that feedback loop to understand, yeah. are we impacting the right things? Because it's easy to design things in an office. It's hard to see it in execution on the front lines and know what the damage is or what the goodness is. So you're trying to really try to figure out that balance. And that's why I think I'm really appreciating the franchise model because no one's afraid to give you that feedback. Yeah. Well, they're all entrepreneurs. It's their um, livelihood that's on the line. So yeah. of course they, they deserve to be able to give that feedback and, we have the same thing, obviously, here, um, and it forces, um, you know, maybe before, because I came from traditional retail, I wouldn't communicate as as well, and it's forced me to be better at communicating. It's forced me to be better at storytelling, you know, yeah. telling people the why behind the decisions I'm making, where as before, it was just, no, no, we're just going to do this, and no one would challenge it, and then you would just, you'd walk into a store, and you'd overhear some staff talking about how dumb that was, because we couldn't execute it during Black Friday, right? Like you're asking yeah. them to change price tags and you're asking them to change signage. And you think it's a good idea from the, the office, but yeah, try doing it at store level when there's 500 customers asking you about product. Exactly. So that's great. So Tambir, what else um, can can you say about the e-commerce industry? Now you've you've been there for a year. Um, product is selling product. And, and I know there's some, some uniqueness about the marketing and the messaging with pet. And, and you mentioned the emotional play that you can do, but from a, from an e-commerce trend perspective, most technologies, personalization, social selling, those type of things, what are yeah. you seeing that is going to come down the road that you think you're going to take advantage of? Well, I think there's a couple of things, right? I think, you know, I still think there's a lot of room for just site discovery, um, which really comes down to navigation and search and really improving that. And that leads to the personalization and the recommendation component. I think that's really, really critical to this. I think the other piece that I see is the convergence of, as we talked about, between digital and store and more and more seeing that happen. So even having, you know, the potential for store associates to represent themselves online as, as ambassadors or as, as sales individuals from an online perspective and, and leveraging that expertise that comes out of our local stores um, I see those as potential trends that are that are emerging. I think personalization is is a concept we we all want, and we're all trying to figure out how to make it happen with all the data we have. I think in our industry we have a real good chance of of really making a difference there, given how much we can collect, how much we can know. Like, you know, I always laugh because I'm like, you know, we we're still in that, you know, we're not we're not super targeting yet, so 
you know, our emails are still very much blended between dog and cat and small pet. Mm-hmm. But can you imagine the day where, you know, to your point, Chris, we would just only show you dog stuff or we would only show you things that are relevant to what your shopping habits have been. So treats that you like or treats that are similar to the treats you've already bought to give you some sort of just differences or, or a little bit of, uh, of just, yeah. mis- you know, just new- newness, I would call it, than anything else. So, you know, that's where I think a lot of the, the patterns are going to go. But, I, you know, I, I'm also really... You know, given where we are in our business, we're really on the foundational components of it, right? We want to make sure we get site search, site discovery completed. We, we we've got a we've got a huge desire to make sure that the site is more shoppable. It's more resembles that front porch for for our customer base, um, and then we'll kind of focus on, on on that as part of our roadmap. Is is really things that we see as as important components, and then part of that also is like you know we we're obviously trying to look at loyalty and see how that plays out for for us in the future. Subscription programs are, are on the docket as well. So there's a number of components, but, I, you know, I underlie it to say that, you know, really for us, what we're focused on is building a robust and comprehensive customer experience from start to finish. And it doesn't have to be super sexy in the beginning. It has to work and it has to be able to be effective that you can get what you want. You can get out fast enough, just like the old adage was, yeah. minimize the number of clicks, get me through checkout as fast as you possibly can and make the product page come to life. And, and I'm sure, and I think we talked a little bit offline on this, is yes, you want to improve that whole journey online, but it's that it's that cross-channel journey. And it's not a it's a harmonized shopping experience that you're really focused on and not just the add to cart on the e-commerce. You are yeah. just as responsible and just as thought-provoking about what's going on at store and how you're driving customers to store as well. Yeah. And this is why I go back to the content that lives on your product page is so important because even if you don't convert on that content or that product with the add to cart button, that is what they're using as they go into the store to help guide their decisions or guide their questions to our aces about what they're looking for and why. And the more the convergence can happen that you can make the in-store experience come online and the online experience come into store in different ways. I think that's the power of what we're trying to build. And the differentiator for me is, you know, how do we beat an Amazon? And, you know, everyone's always trying to figure that out. We've been talking about that for five years. Well, the real different, the way, real way to do it is to, take advantage of what we have, which is physical locations. We have, you know, you have 600 pickup points. We have 600 pickup points. How do we leverage those 600 pickup points day in and day out to give that confidence that, you know, you can get what you want, you can return what you want, and you can have the experience that you want with people who are experts in the space. Yeah, that's great. Hey, bud, we're 40 minutes into this, and I know you've got your family sitting at home. I appreciate Mm -hmm. um, you spending this 40 minutes with, with me and our audience. We could go on forever. There's so many different oh, yeah. topics you and I can go back and forth on. Um, but we'll save that for another day. And with all sincerity, I truly appreciate you. You're tops in North America. I, I tell everybody any given day, you know, if, if you ever get to a, a conference and you see Tambir, go shake his hand. He's a true gentleman. Uh, I've appreciated our friendship and appreciate you being on here tonight. No, thanks, Chris. And, you know, like, like I said, you've been that for me too. Like, you know, I, I still remember, you know, asking you some questions and guiding and even sitting on a panel with you, you know, many a times where, you know, we share the same challenges and, you know, we talk about the same opportunity. So, you know, I hope, you know, I hope our friendship continues because I learned a lot from you and I'm so proud of you for, for putting this together and the delivering e-commerce to Chris Parsons. It's, you know, for me, it's, it's something that I wish I had when I was younger to have that you could actually interact with, with leaders in the space this way. Perfect. Well, thank you. Have a great night, my friend. And we'll catch you soon. Take care, Chris. 
You've been listening to Delivering E-Commerce. It's our passion to have on leaders and suppliers in e-commerce from around the globe, setting you and your strategy up for the next level. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. Connect with Chris on LinkedIn at Chris Parsons. On LinkedIn and Spotify at Delivering E-Commerce. Or on YouTube at Chris Parsons Delivering E-Commerce. Till next time, this is Delivering E-Commerce.